everybody, and welcome to episode 375 of Video Game Apocalypse. I'm your host, Michael, going to read the crap out of Ready Player 2. Raparas, who else is here with me in the mystical, magical Vincent Garcia Memorial Studio of the Airwaves? Patreon.com slash laser time. Always in the Zoom where it happened, Chris Antista. <laughs> and. I cost $10 more, but I am worth it, Matthew Allen. And special guest... Leif, I'm ready for Ghost of Tsushima Johnson. Oh, shit. I'm also not, ready man. for Ghost of Tsushima. That's Good. incredible. Where can people see your stuff? Obviously, you've been on this show, but you have a career outside of us. Yeah, I, I recently was an editor from Macworld, and uh, you can actually find my work on there and uh, PC World, because so, they're still tossing me freelance work. I'm on IGN now, uh, and uh, looking at some other places, MMORPG.com. So yeah, I'm out and about and all around, and since I'm a freelancer again, you can see me in a lot of places. We've got an interesting show. Obviously, a bunch of new releases hitting this week, very few of which we've had a chance to play. A um, bunch of news coming out. We've got uh, Ubisoft Forward on the near horizon. But one of the new releases that we're, we're eagerly awaiting is Curse of the Moon 2. Bloodstained Curse of the Moon 2. If you remember, like this, this was actually the sequel to a game that came out kind of like nobody really was expecting it to come out and it was sort of like this retro throwback almost a promo to another game bloodstained ritual of the night which was a bit more it was also a throwback but also a bit more modern well they, they were expecting it because it was a kickstarter bonus it, it was a it was an award, a reward tier wasn't it it was it might have been but, but again game. operative word is bonus it seemed yeah, like yeah. a bonus like oh here yeah this will be nice and it fucking killed. Like, it got really well-reviewed. People loved it. A lot of people seem to love it more than the game it was a promotion for. Mm-hmm. It's really weird to see a DVD special feature get a sequel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of, <laughs> Here we yeah. are. <laughs> Matt, you, you actually started by suggesting D-Makes, and somehow in my head that became retro throwback games that were ostensibly meant to promote bigger, more modern games that usually came out a little bit later, but ended up, in many cases, being much better than those. You know, maybe mm-hmm. maybe more beloved, maybe they just stand the test of time better. These things that might have been seen on the level of like, oh, this is like a, a Flash game promoting a movie or something, like, ended up being like, oh no, this is really, really good. This is actually the one you should play. And it's, But I don't get to talk about The Mummy Demastered. You don't get to talk about God. The Mummy Demastered because it. that, if, if only there'd been a terrible Mummy video game, but it was, a, there was just a terrible Mummy movie. All right, so we will get into these right after this. Do you like Video Game Apocalypse in 302010? Well, the LaserTime Patreon has figured out a way to combine the two over at patreon.com slash lasertime. We've taken a month's worth of 302010's games from 3020 and 10 years ago and grabbed the hosts, Michael Raparez and Matthew Allen from Video Game Apocalypse. And with our combined three decades plus in the games industry, we found a great way to take a deep dive into the biggest gaming anniversaries of the month. Here's a recent sample. And I really wanted to talk about this, Combat Tribes, because in a weird yes. way, Combat Tribes sort of taught me how to read. I remember being very young in a summer camp, and we were at a bowling alley for a week. No one could really figure out what to call this game, and you know, without an internet or a caring adult, Combat Tribes, com- Coma Tribes, com- <laughs> Yeah, it was it was difficult. We all had different, and I've never, and only until recording podcasts have I heard anybody. Uh, Combat tribes makes the most sense. What doesn't make sense is that this is a 
beat em up from Technos, the double dragon people who yes. built us the beat em up. And this game has no jump. It has a dash yeah. knee move like Double Dragon. I just played this, obviously, but I, I loved it. I love beat em ups. And this one is bloody and brutal. You can kick and punch people when they're down. You can slam Clown's head into the pavement until blood splatters everywhere. I fucking love this game. And I, I will never forget like the ad campaign for it, which was like this comic book ad in EGM with like the main villain, Martha Splatterhead, who's like a hot blonde in a tight dress. It's like, oh, I'm, my gangs will take over the city. And like, not if the combat tribes, Berserker, Bulova, and Blitz can stop you. Yeah. And she's like, oh, come on, Blitz, you wouldn't hit a lady, would you? And then like the last frame is just this muscle man standing over a woman that he's just punched out. Screaming, cyborgs ain't ladies! <laughs> so, in addition to weekly bonus shows, over 100 movie commentaries, exclusive specials, you can get the 30 2010 Video Games Edition, celebrating a month of important gaming milestones every single month at patreon.com slash lasertime in exchange for just five bucks. And you'll support all of the Lasertime shows, including Video Game Apocalypse, right guys? Yay! And we're back to talk about what? Someone else tried to explain this. What did I miss? What? <laughs> I'd love to see well, you try. It's, it's retro spin-off, but they're kind of promo games, are we saying? They're, they're promoting the bigger game. Yeah, How re- about retro retro Little Brothers? How's, yeah, how's re- that? Retro spin-offs that kind of outshone the games they were spun off from. Yeah. That's good but let's let's begin with Number five. <laughs> I know you guys know what this is. It's every NES game made by Capcom. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be confusing. <laughs> Keyword is Capcom here. Chris, you might actually know what this one is. Oh, is this DVZ? This is DVZ Dark Void Zero, the little oh, brother yeah, yeah. to this game. How's this thing work? What's the sense in telling you something you can discover for yourself? Take a leap. Uh, Nolan North is the Rocketeer with Nikola Tesla testing out a rocket pack in a <laughs> Here's what's somewhere. shitty. The actual best Dark Void game mm-hmm. is, I believe, the demo, which you can still get for free. <laughs> okay. it, it, that, that one open area that the game lies until that, that doesn't exist throughout m- a majority of the game is the coolest thing you can do. And we're saying that right when Iron Man is coming out for VR, which is essentially offers say. the same thrills. Mm. Here, what, one, one of the best. One of the best sequences in that game is also in that demo. So. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> fucking crazy. Scene. It's crazy. Maybe maybe we don't want to fly as much as we think we do. Yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe we want to walk around a mansion a whole bunch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll we'll talk about that. We'll talk about Iron Man oh, VR. Yeah, we'll get there. But Dark Void Zero came out for DSiWare of all things. Like, yeah. you, you remember the Nintendo DSi? Well, DSiWare was special games that you could download only on that platform. Oh, good lord. I hope someone... Those games are totally lost. All the people who, like, work well, on emulators and shit weren't buying digital DS games. Yeah. Oh, no. Huh. What, a lot of, do a we lot remember what the I stood for? Was was it interactive? Or what the hell was the I? Internet version? Um, interstitial? I don't know. Because it was one of those, it was one of those DS know. models that came out, like... Uh, I think it, I know what it stood for. It stood for, I want to be the iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Could yeah. be. It was it was like the stopgap between the DS and the 3DS. 
Um, but, it was, and I got suckered into buying one. Yeah, lovely little system for all of about two years. Uh, but Dark Void Zero came out for it on January 18th, 2010, and Dark Void came out on January 19th, 2010. And uh, people immediately seemed to be like, well, Dark Void is kind of disappointing, but Dark Void Zero... Now that's mm-hmm. a pretty good game. It's it's also it's also evident in that Dark Void Zero has been re-released on new platforms where Dark yes. Void has not. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not a game I don't it's a fascinating bad not like like a fascinating six. It's not a fucking terrible yeah. game. Hmm. Yeah, it's it, totally it, it, mediocre. It's like, yeah, that game's fine, but I think it's got one, moments. I think one of the reasons Zero people liked it a lot more is just like a lot of the problems you'd have with the main Dark Void game was is like, well, it's you know, rocketing in 3D. There's some control issues there, whereas none of that exists in the t- 2D. Uh, yeah, I also, I also think people hadn't really been used to, you know, in our current era of Game Passies and Steamies, and everyone's used to, like, retro games, but, like, a, a retro game like this made by a AAA developer, you know, that wasn't really commonplace at the mm. time. Yeah. So, so it was a AAA developer that made the spinoff. It wasn't a, a different studio. AAA publisher. I don't yeah. want to ah, check okay, myself. Okay, okay. Um, but the <laughs> the actual the the game itself was like a very conscious NES throwback to the point where like they had that like '80s style Capcom box art for it as right. as the promo, and they had like I think a cartridge sliding into view uh, as part of the intro that you had to like tap to insert cartridge, and it was a prequel actually. Yeah. It was. You're just kind of jumping around, and then you like you find a jetpack for the first time. It's like, oh, suddenly I can fly and hover, and like I have all this this cool range of motion that I didn't have before. And now the everything is just full of all these enemy soldiers that I have to shoot, and the soundtrack, uh, fucking bang, man. strong Mega Man vibes there. And uh, I, I believe composer Bear McCreary was... He just he really? couldn't stop talking about this. Okay. Because uh, he he, uh, uh, he did... I think at the, t- at the time he was Battlestar Galactica's Bear McCreary composer. Mm-hmm. And he composed the music for both games and but just was sort of delighted in the idea of demaking those songs in, into chip tunes, is what we used to call them. Right, yes. Uh... Uh, yeah, it was it was it was it was adorable. <laughs> do you guys? Because I, I, I feel like sometimes he, as a composer, you know, yeah, I can do this in my sleep, but oh shit, I get to make it sound really old, neat. Yeah, I get to work. Do with you guys remember? Of I don't remember this at all about the release, but I'm looking at the Wikipedia page where you know that's where we get all our facts. Um, and apparently, this was an April Fool's parody that they just said, "Oh no, this yeah. is good enough; it's going to get its own release." Like I didn't remember the April Fool's thing at all. That sounds probably accurate. Yeah. Yeah, and see, this this is one of the things, because I, I was looking at that too, and I was, you know, there are a lot of games that were, you know, kind of made like that, but this one seems like it would, I, I haven't actually played this, I want to play it now. Yeah. And oh, it's, it's like, really good. That's also the kind of thing, because like in 2010, I think retro gaming was not quite the demographic that it is mm. now, like retro mm. gamers. And so something like that would have been done kind of like as a joke, like, Haha, we're putting out an NES game and like, oh, people are interested in this. Oh, yeah, let's fucking make it happen. Let's do this. Let's roll this out. Oh, shit, there's an audience for this. Holy crap. 
<laughs> yeah, Dark Boy Zero has been released on more platforms than Dark Boy. Mm. Oh, Michael, you know what you forgot about the, the cartridge insert thing? You had to blow into oh, your DSi right, yes. microphone mm-hmm. to, to remove the dust I, from I it. knew I remembered that from something. I just wasn't sure if it was oh. from Dark Void because uh, I played it on PC most recently. And they made the the box art look so much like a you oh, know yeah. like yeah. an like an Nintendo it even has like a Nintendo silly quality straight out of post Mega Man one box art like yeah, it's you a know, fake it's, one. it's yeah. not quite up to modern standards but like they had a neat thing going on and well and Michael you were saying like the retro game thing maybe wasn't firing on as many cylinders as mm. it eventually would but I, I think one of the secrets of this game that that will probably apply to every game on our list is like. By this time, there was a robust community of indie developers who were developing retro-style games because, A, that's what they grew up playing, but, B, they're a lot more affordable. You know, like doing chiptunes and all this stuff um, and and that kind of graphics, you know, 2D-style games and graphics, it's much, much less expensive to develop for. And so it's kind of like a lot of these companies can – they can go seek out these smaller indie devs and say, hey, do you want to work on kind of this side project? Uh, Because they – I, w- I would imagine a lot of these developers had done something similar and then like these bigger companies say, hey, that thing you did is awesome. Mm-hmm. Here, make one of those, uh, you know, based on our game, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Or our bad TV show. <laughs> or bad an idea of timing. Uh, Super Meat Boy came out that same year. So oh, wow. that gives you an idea. Of, mm. uh, it's true. The interest in it. They'd, they'd been picking up for a few years at least, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Still, still not quite when, as, when hear, as common where it's just like half the indie games you play now, you expect them to look like eight or 16 big games. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but let's move along. Number four. I know this. Yeah, you do know it. I can't name it, though. <laughs> is it, wait, is it, is it not a Capcom game? Yes. Oh, okay. So it's Bionic Commander Rion. Yes. It's a little bit of a cheat, because even though this was very much a retro-styled remake of the first Bionic Commando, like it, it used fairly modern 3D graphics. Like It, it used kind of a, a very bright color palette, but was still technically a modern game. But uh, now, now, was his arm possessed by the spirit of his dead wife in this version of the game uh, as you know, well? No, not not overtly. We had to wait for this version until that came along. We believe the terrorists to be ex-imperials and some of our own men. Rogue bionics. You're the only one with experience tackling both. We're sending you into the city to scout the area and help us track down those responsible. Like hell you are. I'm just a man, Spencer. I can't give you the last five years back. All I can do is say fuck a lot. Why was there a random Wilhelm scream? <laughs> <in the country? laughs> he just killed Lieutenant Wilhelm. This is kind of like before we really knew about that. I, I just I want to remark upon how close we were of living in a really good world where Bionic Commando was a thing again. Mm-hmm. It had it had it had done so many things. Pretty goddamn great. Bionic Commander Rearmed is an excellent game. Period. Uh, I lo- 
I think there's no better name in video gaming history than Rad Spencer. Yeah. I wish my name pretty, was Rad Spencer. <laughs> pretty bitchin'. By the time he had the dreadlocks, it's like, okay, he's Nathan Spencer now. We're, we're dispensing with the Rad. It's a little... That, that's a little... <laughs> and uh, remember, like, he, Spencer got thrown into MVC3 and became a valuable opponent. Yeah. A, a, a decent combatant in uh, MVC3 for the next 10 years. And the, the big hang-up was the AAA game that's, in, in parts, excellent. But just, mm-hmm. I wish it was $40 and all of the poison gas levels were gone. And I think everybody <laughs> would, would have been fine with it. Cribbing from Superman yeah. 64 there. Uh, yeah, I mean, but you're, oh, you're right. Like, Bionic Commando should have a higher place in the, in the you know, in gaming lore. Just because, like, yeah. think of how many games use grappling hooks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was At the that first point, biggie. Like, grappling hooks aren't a th- an everyday life thing. You don't really encounter yeah, grappling hooks Bionic, that often. Bionic but in, Commando should be a 3D Metroidvania. It should yeah, be but like Metroid also, Prime all over again. It, the, the, the 3D one was a, a Spider-Man without an Activision budget. Yeah. It was it, it had decent mechanics, and and I don't know that character should still be around. We should st- it, like it should be a you know maybe not a household name in hmm. the video game world, but something close. There, there should uh, be more. So yeah, Bionic Commando Rearmed came out in uh, August 13th, 2008. Uh, and and it was kind of like part of this two part announcement that is like we're bringing back Bionic Commando and there's going to be a real sequel and first we're going to remake the first game and it's going to be so awesome and it was pretty awesome and then May eighteenth two thousand nine rolls around the sequel comes out and everybody's like it's okay I guess we waited like twenty years <laughs> and it's okay so. <laughs> You know, it was such a weird part of Capcom's history, and Chris, it's so... I mean, you were there. It's like they were doing games like this. They were doing what we just talked about. Um, no, no, and then, I was there after this, oh, okay. which if I... I'm trying to be careful, I would attribute this game for part of the reason why my experience there was not very good, because yeah. like a bunch of creative freedom that had been given to them, a, uh, there was a lot of that that was compacted into a ball of how much Bionic Commando cost and failed. But I guess what I'm what I'm getting at is there there was a, a several years there where Capcom like kind of relied on their retro roots yeah. and and they were like the DuckTales game you worked on they would release these retro games and I mean not that I've seen they're not really doing that in the past like uh, four, I'll even four put or five it more years. specifically there is no western development of any kind after things ah. like Bionic Commando. Mm. And it, yeah. And, and well, this so, was so after like a long string of like Final Fight Streetwise, and uh, although yeah, I, yeah, I I mean, Dead Rising was doing pretty well. Yeah, there, there's some precedent there, but it's also after like you know to bring Street Fighter Two online and mm. Final Fight Double Impact, and just like weird little things where the yeah, never mind. But but it's it yeah, like there's a particular point of pain for me for Bionic Commando because the potential was there, and there, there's there's a a glimmer of greatness in the triple-A game. There is nothing but greatness in the first rearmed game. Yeah. And both made it by just, the same developer, Grin, which yes. did not last long after Bionic Commando. It, it put out, Grin put out like 10 games that year, wow. and, and it was just, they were of such varying degrees of quality. And some of them were like the Terminator Salvation game. Oh, man. And I, I, I don't know what happened exactly, but I think... That know, was their last game, it appears. Yeah? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. It's very, very strange because they seem to be like very prolific for a short period of time, and uh, with licensed stuff, and still, still couldn't manage to survive. Hmm. So, I'm a little curious as I don't know uh, the accounting 
area of Never mind. I'm sorry. I, I'm taking back pain pills. <laughs> oh god, they did that wanted game. I remember seeing oh, that was pretty that game. good actually. That was it's, like a it great is not rental. terrible. And they uh, did uh, advance. They did Gross Recon Advance Warfighter one and two. Like those are amazing games. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. Um, but rearmed, rearmed was like. Or maybe the, the, the right the right people knew Bionic Commando. I'm gonna just say the NES game because I don't like the arcade one that much. Hmm. Even though it, you do get to blow up genuine Hitler's head. Uh, the, the NES game is wonderful, and, and and plays like nothing else. So if you could make that faster and uh, with more combat, holy shit, I would love to see that. And I, I know Brett and I were up, like, and the soundtrack is amazing. And I think part of it was that Capcom was ahead of ahead of the industry in releasing soundtracks. They that that soundtrack plopped on iTunes at about the same time. Like you still can't get a Nintendo soundtrack on iTunes. You still can't. Wow. To this day, uh, because not everybody does that. The Bionic Commander Rearm soundtrack was was legally available for sale on every digital platform before that was a thing, and and it, it hit every other space. And it's just so strange because it people wanted Bionic Commander to be back in the world so bad. All of those things were successful, except for the thing they, it was promoting. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that, that's yeah. Bionic Commando Rearmed, like it was, it was a, a remake. Uh, and and it delivered all the the great gachunks that you would expect from Bionic Commando remake. Like uh, just throwing your arm out and swinging on stuff felt really good, but then it added all this new physics stuff where you can grab objects and throw them. It added a ton of challenge rooms, many of which were designed at, or named after various outlets, including Games Radar. I think we got one of our own in there. Um, yeah, it was it was just like a love letter to fans of the original, and it, it fucking rocked. And then, yeah, I was like, meh. And and it would probably be higher on this list if it were like you know trying to legit look like an NES game or something, um, sort of like this next one does. Number three. Now, this one I recognize. Yeah. Is, is this the inspiration of our yeah, list? Yes, here's this, a hint. We've already talked about this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that soundtrack, it, because it sounds so much like a Castlevania game without being a Castlevania yes. game. Yes. And, and this one surprised me because I think out of all of them, like, I remembered this as having, like, the shortest gap between the, you know, retro release and the official release. Uh, this is actually... The widest gap on this list. Curse of the Moon, Bloodstained Curse of the Moon came out May 24th, 2018, and Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, I think, got delayed a few times and ended up coming out June 18th, 2019. So it's a year and a month. Um, I think the reason you almost. might be thinking of it as, as quickly is we didn't really hear how amazing this game was until friend of the show Brett Elston was nominating it as his game of the year that year mm -hmm. and so I just remember like that's when I picked it up is like that December well, I of 2018 at launch because I pick up everything at launch yeah that's true <laughs> <laughs> but maybe you went back to it and beat it then because that's when yeah. that's when I beat it and I was like oh my god that yeah this thing is a very I mean it's not a long game but it's it's a it's a master it's a masterpiece of one of those you know yeah it's it's a very good homage to Castlevania 3 Mm -hmm. Whereas Bloodstained Ritual of the Night is a, a, an homage to uh, Castlevania Symphony Ranger. of the Night. It's a you know big yeah. horror themed Metroidvania game. This is 
a, just a very straightforward, like, go through, and as you beat e- these different bosses, you'll unlock new characters, and you can switch between them at any time. Switching back from Zangetsu, the, the samurai guy, to the shardbinder, to the alchemist, to the other shardbinder, and, and really they, they all kind of fit into different Castlevania 3 archetypes. Like the main character is sort of like a, a Belmont with a sword, and then they mix it up a little bit. Uh, the shardbinder, the protagonist of the main bloodstained ritual of the night. Miriam? Miriam, yes, thank you. Uh, she she like jumps really high. She's got a whip. Jeebel is like the, the Alucard of the game. He, he, I think, turns into a bat and can throw <laughs> fireballs. And uh, then the alchemist... Alfred... Alfred, the Alfred, magician. yes, thank you. He, but he, uh, he's like the Cypher Belnades, where he he has like a few really powerful spells. But if you just try to use him as like, I'm just gonna go around and hit things with my stick. Well, it's kind of pathetic, but you yeah. can. And, and and you were talking like you can switch at any time. But the thing is, like they they all maintain their health. Mm-hmm. So if if one of those character dies, you can keep playing the level. But you might get stuck at certain points because you might need their special powers to to progress or, or to reach a secret area or something like that. And so yeah. it's like, yeah, it, it becomes that thing of like, ah, I mean, do I really want to keep using this guy or do I want to save him in case I need him? But it is cool because it's almost like, you know, when you play like fighting games, they have like the tag option. Like, oh, yeah, one of your characters can go down and you just finish the level with, with the, you know, the mm-hmm. other ones that you have in your pocket, which, yeah. which is nice. And and it was a little bit weird because I guess this and Ritual of the Night take... Like, I thought this was a prequel to Ritual of the Night. It is not. They seem to take place in alternate universes. Mm. Because, um, so Zangetsu, like, he, he shows up fairly early in Ritual of the Night. And I was kind of disappointed because I thought, like, oh, he and Miriam have a history together. They fought together. And they seem to not recognize each other at all. I knew what you are. That ghastly air about you. You reek of sorcery, Shardbinder. Ah, and what am I to make of you? Me? I'm your executioner. I'm your executioner, says David Hayter of Metal Gear. (laughs) Uh, We will be talking about that voice actor's biggest cinematic screenplay contribution this week on 3020. I never get tired of saying Writer of X-Men. That is quite impressive. There you go. Yeah. Fill the tease out for me. Um, but, he, like, I, I also want to take a second, like, even though we're saying, like, eh, Bloodstain wasn't quite as good. Like, it did have a lot of really cool stuff in it. It does have a lot of really cool stuff. Um, a, yeah. a lot of very conscious homages to Castlevanias of the past, including bringing back certain voice actors to play roles very similar to the ones that they played in that series. That aura about you. <gasps> You're a vampire! And what of it? Will you murder me for that alone? I've picked no quarrel with you. <sighs> My name is Orlog Dracul, but you may call me O.D. That is the voice of uh, Robert Belgrade, who is also the voice of Alucard in Symphony of the Night. And just to make sure that wasn't coincidental, I looked it up and, like, yes, the Japanese voice actor for this role is also the voice of Alucard in hmm. Japan. Huh. So, there you go. Uh, Quick shout out to the developer of this game. So, this is NT Creates. Mm-hmm. Um, they sort of specialize in this type of retro game, but it's because 
their roots go back pretty far. Like, they made a, a lot of retro games. Like, GBA, they, they made, like, GBA versions of, like, Mega Man games for years and years. And I think you might even be able to credit them with kicking off a lot of this, like, the retro style thing. Like, they, they worked on Mega Man 9, which was when Capcom, like, kind of it, reset it Mega Man. also back Mighty retro. Number 9, rather interesting. And Mighty Number 9. <laughs> they, but they were also, like, back when the Mega Man franchise essentially gave up on being, you know, current gen that they belong in a retro space, they were the people who did that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they make, they make like, I, at one point I was telling Michael and Chris, I'm like, we can almost make all five because they make so many of these types of games. That's, that's what they're really good at, you know? Yeah, yeah. Blaster Master Zero would have made it on this list if it had had a contemporary release that it was going up against. Yeah. yeah or a exactly. more, more modern release, I should say. Yeah, the, 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 yeah, because the, the real weird thing in Blaster Master's history is that it has... It actually has a 3D version. Yes. For, on it's, PlayStation, it's, that nobody remembers. Yeah, it's like one of seven Blaster Master games. It's not the majority. Mm. And it's, it's uh, we'll talk about it on the 302010 Games episode. Patreon. It has, it has the best name out of all of them, though, right? Dude, blasting again? <laughs> what are we doing here? Why well, are we I mean, working on anything on, uh, under any other title? Blasting you got to save again. still blasting for the game after that, Chris. Mm-hmm. You can't just go out with still blasting. Yeah. Still blasting after all these years. <laughs> um, I, Master Blaster or Blaster Master Zero Two is a legit amazing Blaster game. Blaster. Also, because but, like yeah. I think Zero, it, it, it's it's sort of like a, a Wonder Boy in the Dragon's Trap versus Monster Boy that where it's like one of these is a conscious remake slash homage of a very old game, and the other mm-hmm. one is a an, an homage made with modern sensibilities. Like this is a modern game that happens to have a retro presentation. Um, and so I think the, the newer one is, yeah, two, two is, is much more playable, IMO. But, ah, uh, gotcha. But yeah. A little bit like the game I just finished, The Messenger. Modern yeah. game, retro presentation. Yep, yep. Delves both into 8 and 16-bit eras. A real shovel knight parable. Yeah. Yep. Curse yeah, of the Moon. Oh, that's that's our number one. No, three. No, three. We have two. How do we have two How, left? Oh, my on? God. Yeah. <laughs> number two. I think this might actually be our most controversial entry. I wouldn't say that. I've gone on record repeatedly saying this is in my top ten games of all time. (laughs) Yeah, but I think there are a lot of people who would go to bat for the game. I think it's better than... So 1994. You, you know times suck when all of my news feed is clogged up with Donkey Kong Country's coming out. Like I have a billion official ways to play this awful yes. game. But Chris, you can you can find an, another way to break up with a girlfriend over the phone while playing oh, it. Okay. <laughs> that's part of my history. I, I, I've, I've never bought wholly into the idea that no Donkey Kong Country is actually a really bad game that we were just you know we bought into because it looked so good. Like I thought, it, it, I've always thought it was fine, but. Uh, if you compare them now, so 1994 saw two Donkey Kong games. One deceptively just titled Donkey Kong on the Game Boy came out in June 1994. Donkey Kong Country, the one everyone wanted, uh, came out in on November 25th. 
and uh, Donkey Kong on Game Boy, like, again, it's like, it's a black and white game. It seems to just have the first few levels of Donkey Kong. I mean, Donkey Kong's wearing a tie. It was like this weird half step between his old design and his new one with the, the Dairy Queen hair. But it's also important to remember, it's a Mario game. It, it is. Well, that's the thing. It's it's not just a Mario game. It's a game that combines like all the lessons right. taken over the years from Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr., uh, Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers 2, and it gives you a Mario game that is... Like, there, there are some things that take getting used to, like, oh, Mario can die from falling too far now. Uh, Mario's movements are a little stiffer, but he can climb, he can pick up enemies, and it's just all these one-screen puzzle rooms. Like, you, you go through the initial four levels of Donkey Kong, and then Donkey Kong just, like, runs off, and now it, the game opens up, and it's like fucking uh, color coming to Oz or something where like now we've got world hundreds maps of levels. and hundreds of levels I think this might have been like a hundred levels it is a hundred and, yeah. and not it, not just that they're not single screen levels and like they're single screen levels but the screen scrolls mm. you can go up very 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 far oh well, that is true and yeah. never be able to see below you and and and, and I love this just because it was a I think we all when we saw this was announced if you're a kid you're just like oh I yeah. This is not the Kong. this is not the Mario game any of us wanted. We're, no. we're a little, you know. I'm I, 16. I, was, I want Mortal Kombat right now. Yeah. Well, or I want a 3D Mario game or another another colorful side scroller, not a throwback to Donkey Kong, which you know I was like 0.2 when that came out. Mm-hmm. And and, <laughs> and and but then this game is fucking delightful in every move. That not every move, but several moves Mario gets in Mario sixty four originate here. Yeah, from the triple jump to the uh, handstand backflip, mm-hmm. those all originate here yeah, in a wow. platformer, in a single screen arcade platformer. That that is really clever. And the handstand much like, more fair him, than Donkey Kong. Like he, he can catch barrels doing a handstand. Like they bounce off of his feet. Like, it's incredibly wow, intricate, and when I d- download it for the 3DS, uh, I-, I play it now once a year all the way through. I love this game. I love this game, and I didn't grow up weaned on Donkey Kong. Only now am I getting into that. I mean, both but, Brett and I nominated this for one of the best games of all time. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, I, and I did want to point out, yes, it was a Game Boy title. It also technically came to the Super, Super Nintendo. Game yeah, the because Super Game Boy. Yeah, it had. It was the first game with, with exclusive features for Super Game Boy. Mm-hmm. It has, it has the, yeah, it had colors, and it had the actual Donkey Kong arcade border the, thing when you play the that. The bezel, Ugh, I just came with the, the Donkey Kong bezel. I wish I could see life like that. Oh God, I can't wait to hear this great sound coming out of my TV. I kid this game. It's amazing. I I, I actually had it uh, loaded on my um, new arcade mod machine and really? it blown up and loud with a couple sound issues. It was one of the worst experiences I've ever had. <laughs> so I, 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 I'm, I, I would. There are a few games I'd like to see remade more than this one. I yeah. think it is gameplay wise flawless. At the end of the game, it ties Donkey Kong to Super Mario Brothers. To give you a canonical reason why Mario left the barrel jumping, plumbing, ape hunting game, hmm. uh, let's not re- let's remember he 
Mario was a he was a, he was a Donkey Kong enslaver. He was. was part, he was oh, Donkey Kong was game. his pet. He's got blood on his hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, he changed his name after that. He was Jumpman back yeah. then. That's you know that was mm-hmm. pre Mario. Yeah, it was. It was before he got canceled. Uh, <laughs> he, he put he put on an Italian Italian name, affected an accent. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Yeah. Um. But yeah, they they really should have called this Donkey Kong Four. I don't yeah. know why they didn't. Like that might have actually stirred more interest in it. Than just I, I do know that like I um. I, there were two girls I was dating into when I turned like 16 a few years later and I would go into their house and like this was the only game they had in their house really a game yeah because I think weird. there was a good there was a good bundle with the game boy and also like for dads a little younger than mine uh this Donkey Kong might be a precious memory and the second you see it again mm-hmm. you might have just picked up an entire like a hundred oh a hundred dollar system with a one game, I yeah, I love Donkey Kong. I don't care about Tetris or any of this other shit. I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. I just I didn't know I was not dating women ten years younger than me uh, when I was sixteen years old. <laughs> well, thank God. Let's not even think about. It. <laughs> uh, yes, just a lot of just a lot of white trash women. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, I, that sounds like as good a cue as I need to move on to. what it is michael yeah it's pretty obvious. so this is this is a cheat but i i would allow it is it a because cheat? technically it was not was it sonic forces the mainline game that yes. came out after this this was not promoting sonic forces this was always but its that, own but thing it, the idea it was, was like, like this was supposed to be the lead into sonic forces sonic forces was like the big sonic is coming back game and this was like an almost an elevated fan project. So in wasn't August, it, wasn't right. it an el- anniversary year for Sonic? I think that's both. That's why both games are like, oh, it's twenty years of Sonic. Maybe or some shit like do, that. do no, I, I look like Brett? So. I mean, <laughs> no, I, I don't think. Uh, no, I think I. But um, it was twenty. Remember this. This is following up on Sonic Boom, which is basically like Sega saying, we give up on this. <laughs> we give so, up on this for but, a little while. But twenty seventeen. So in in August we got Sonic Mania. And in November, we got Sonic Forces, which pulled the rather controversial move of making the main character not Sonic. Assistance in the city is reporting that whatever it is that finished Sonic... Sorry, I'm still not used to saying that. Whatever it is has got them running in fear. Except for this brave kid who survived the battle and made it here in one piece. Meet our newest recruit. look like much. Neither do you, Charmy, but I still managed to find a use for your pointy butt. Charmy! Yeah, Knuckles finds a use for Charmy's butt. How about that? I love Charmy. So, I looked it up. I, I thought, I, I knew I was remembering correctly. This game, it didn't release as an anniversary. It was announced during the 25th anniversary of Sonic uh-huh. alongside Forces. So, mm-hmm. Mania and Forces were announced. There was a big party at San Diego Comic-Con that I sent Hank to, because this is when we were at Fandom together, and I just remember like him being way more excited about Sonic Mania than yeah. coming back from that event than Forces. It was and like, oh no, that's... Right, because yeah. it's one of the best games of the last five years, and Sonic Forces, like, I wouldn't... I wouldn't... I wouldn't give that game away to charity. Like you, you, 
it's a rude thing to do. It's not that bad. It really isn't. Eggman, what did you think of Sonic Forces? Sonic, how I hate him. And all of that loathing has been focused into this invincible instrument of destruction. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. Every humiliation at the hedgehog's hands will be returned a thousandfold by my unstoppable creation. Thousandfold. This is my dream come true. With this invention, I can expand the Eggman Empire across the globe and conquer the world! Fascinating. Uh, that is not Brian Doyle Murray, surprisingly, no. but it sounds like him. <laughs> who, 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 by the way, I in Wayne's World uh, does an entire pitch in front of a Sonic screen uh, promoting his arcades. Hmm. None of which included Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> Come down to Noah's Arcade. I have Sonic running behind me in a blue screen. Guaranteed not to be on the floor. Yeah, play a Genesis. <laughs> Come down here, drop $10 a day, or pay $80 and have a Genesis forever. This business will never die. <laughs> oh, man. But no, so- Sonic Mania, uh, speaking of love letters to a franchise and its fans... Um, it was kind of helmed by, I, th- I think, well, probably not fair to say it's helmed by Tyson Hess, but he gets a lot of the credit. Uh, this internet cartoonist, who I, I knew him like he did a strip called Boxer Hockey back in the day, and he did like a one-off joke uh, strip about like Sonic the Hedgehog and just being like this sort of flaccid coward who meets an echidna named Nipples the Enchilada and it gets kind of obscene and weird. And someone at Sega looked at that and said, yes, this guy, he knows what he's talking about. I'm sure there's a whole other side of that that I'm totally unaware of. But um, Tyson Hess is kind of like the new guru of Sonic the Hedgehog. When they needed to save the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, they turned to him for his advice on how to make the hedgehog not suck. Uh, yeah, he, well, he's, he's the art guru. I would yes. say he has a partner on this game, which was Christian uh, Whitehead. Yes. Christian Whitehead was the programmer on the game, and he was the guy that a lot of people credited like, hey, he kind of made made Mania the game, because um, he'd been contracted by Sega before that to work on like a couple of different ports, and they, they quickly realized, like, wow, and this is a guy who'd been like part of the Sonic fan community for years, like, wow, you really understand Retro Sonic better than anyone we still have left working at Sega working on Sonic. Mm. Like, come come help us with this thing, because <laughs> most of those people had moved on. You know, this is a 25-year-old game at that point. So That's true. That's true. And nobody really expected it to work, but it, oh and my god. And once again, so when Sonic finally made it to movie screens, there are no Sonic Forces references. Mm. The title <laughs> credits are from Sonic Mania. Yeah. Did you guys Egg play not- the Plus version, like when, when yes. they did the DLC oh. update? Oh. Well, yes, yes, I did. With the, with the uh, Sonic, Sega Sonic character, I forget his name. Maybe. I, I, I didn't uh, know The Sonic Mania Plus includes a character that was released at the Japanese-only arcade game. Oh. It was a squirrel-like creature who is yellow and boring. Oh, Ray the Squirrel, and, I think. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sega Sonic uh, as an arcade game also sucks. It is not good. <laughs> oh, I've never played it. It's probably it is okay. not good. Do you like Sonic 3D Blast? Yeah. It's like that with a trackball. No. no. Oh, is that why I can't fucking? That's probably why. Input yeah. to work. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, life. He's like, why am I here? <laughs> <laughs> I have to admit, it, it was it, it was it has been a couple of times where I've been actually guessing what the trying to figure out what the name of the, the titles are. <laughs> but uh, Sega Sonic yeah. the Hedgehog is the is the worst game in Sonic history. That's the name uh. of the arcade game. Uh, worse than the game that this sequence is paying homage to? 
Don't you dare. I mean, you can't really say Mean Bean Machine is bad because it's just Puyo Puyo, but... Uh, it does suck, It kind of does. It does. It's not good. Uh, but that sequence in, in uh, Sonic Mania is pretty amazing. And it even has... Uh, like, it's it's not entirely fair to call it a fully 2D Sonic the Hedgehog because it does go 3D at points. But, you know, for, for like, these Mode 70-style uh, bonus stages. Yes, and they're ridiculously hard, those stages, too, because they get... You have to collect those balls or change the color of the balls, and it gets faster mm-hmm. and faster. And yeah, the yes, Sonic Three stages—it's all—it's all referential, but it's—it's—it's it's, it's more glorious. It's, we were talking the other day about my favorite movie of 2017 was the opening of Sonic Mania. It's mm-hmm. still one of my favorite intros of any game that's ever existed. And it's pretty it's, great. It's fucking wonderful. Oh my god! Get off me. Yeah, it's pretty great. And they—they they still do. We'll do uh, animated shorts every once in a while. And they're beautiful. Yes. But it, it definitely, for me, it shows um, sometimes these big companies that own these huge franchises and characters, they don't necessarily understand anymore what makes those things special. And sometimes yeah. they do have to go back to the fan communities to have them remind them and even help guide them. Like, well, how do we reach people like you that are still obsessing over this thing that's over two decades old? You know? I think it was I think it was a great reset for the series. Part of the reason mm-hmm. it got a movie is because it didn't have to rely on Sonic Forces to satiate all of its different, very different fan bases. That's part of why Sonic is going to... It's never going to please any everybody because it's so vast. But, uh, yeah, there's too many different types of Sonic fans. But Sonic Mania did a really good job in keeping having me continue to care and that special edition i it sits in my mantle to this day and by mantle go i mean $11 walmart dvd show <laughs> yeah i'm going to say i was not a person that really cared for sonic growing up that much i'm sorry uh, well, but uh, it yeah it was <laughs> but i love the movie but i also got interested in it precisely because of this where people were you know talking about how they brought in one of the fans and made it a great game and stuff and you know it was one of those cases where the excitement around sonic actually got me interested in playing it and i definitely played that i didn't play forces it, it's fantastic i love sonic mania and I, I i did i hear there was rumblings of another one is possibly is that a thing i haven't heard anything i don't yeah, know it's, why it's they odd that we haven't yeah. yeah i mean you could see it happening yeah, yeah. I thought, I, yeah, I thought there was another one in the pipeline somewhere. Probably. I mean, there should be. Yeah. It's been long enough, and, and mm-hmm. this thing sold really well for them. I think better than Forces that year. So, although it, it, it also remember Forces for, was a forty dollar game. Yep. I thought this one was. Oh, that's right. Wasn't this one twenty at launch, or was it? It was. Oh yeah, it might yeah. have been twenty. I Unless think... you bought the sixty dollar version, where, right. where you got a statue of Sonic standing on a fucking old school Genesis. That's right, with like the the yeah. cartridge collectible, which I'm not sure if it actually has any purpose i think it might hold uh, like the gold ring that comes with it no i don't even think it does that yeah uh i don't know i haven't opened it in a while but i, I the the box I, it, I hate special editions and encourage all of you to never buy a special edition of anything but this was genuinely special where yeah. the box was the size and look of a sega genesis that had a you know two foot tall sonic statue in it most of the time you get like a shitty pvc action figure and this is awesome. Yeah, I think that might and be the, the, game, mo- the, the last collector's edition I ever buy. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that, I, that's, that's what I think. I don't think I'll ever buy another special edition. Nintendo doesn't make them, so <laughs> what am I going to do? <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, that has been our top five. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, a little trip down memory lane. Um, but anyway, we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about a lot more modern games like Iron Man VR and uh, some other stuff that we haven't had a chance to play yet, but we'll talk about anyway as though we have. Plus some news, community answers, other stuff. Stay tuned. Rolling around at the speed of sound. Get scratching. Would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew? Then we strongly encourage you to support this show on patreon.com slash laser time. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the Laser Time Network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. So Disney has said they they want to retheme uh Splash Mountain to be Princess and the Frog. Uh, instead of the Song of the South theme, and, and and I'm totally get it, and I'm I'm all for it. And the people that are like, "Oh my God, you can't! You're, you're changing this thing." It was, and by the way, all of those animals used to be on America's thing right. before they were on that None fucking of the, ride. Almost also, half. everything at Disneyland is like old as shit. It should be <laughs> new and interesting. <laughs> It's time for a change. Come on, something yeah. else. Yeah, I think. Well, I, I mean, nothing else will always have that Ernest special. I would be much more sad about Splash Mountain's retheming if it wasn't an excellent choice. I don't know if ten, eleven-year-old movie counts as something new, Michael, but like it's like it's already set in New Orleans. It totally makes sense. I remember going on that ride for like the first time in like the early two thousands. That was my first time, and I was like, "Wow, I didn't know there were all these animals and." Song of the South. This movie must be crazy. I'm like, no, they they cannibalized an old ride and like threw all that shit in there to weirdly make Song of the South look like it was much more raucous and big than it was. There are, yeah, it, they're, that's they're like, what's weird. The timing. It was never a big movie. It's like, uh, God, what's a what's a Disney movie? Brother Bear. It'd be like putting out an attraction <laughs> theme around Brother Bear. Get Bonus Time, a weekly uncensored and commercial-free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just $5 on Patreon.com slash LazerTime. And welcome back to our final segment, where we will not waste any time making the same tired joke over and over again every week and making you wait and wait and wait while I get around to pushing this button to play this sound. Most recent new release is uh, Iron Man VR, which three of us have, at least three of us, have actually played. Oh, wow. Uh, I was more excited. Again, this this, this scooped me. Uh, in, in a time you. with not a lot of new <laughs> releases going on, I'm putting a lot of faith in things that possibly don't deserve it, and I really I could not wait. I'm telling you, though, man, Trolls World Tour, actually pretty good. you got to give that one a shot. Okay, I'm one of those people that don't get uh, that get really sick in VR and stuff, and, you know, I oh, can't even handle... Oh, this will do handle. that. 
Yeah, you I was going to say, we'll, you're we'll, flying all over? Oh, God. Yeah, what okay, will not make you fair. sick at all is uh, just flying around in space in a magic iron suit. Um, it just looks... Uh, well, here's here's the, the, the I actually uh, like consolation. the parts. You don't spend much time flying around as Iron Man. You spend a lot more time walking around as Tony Stark, at least in the early couple hours of the game. In an excruciating high-res time crisis where you walk through Tony's mansion, and this is in between, and this is the biggest thing. It's VR, and I've never had such an appreciation for for. I never cared at all that, like, why are why do you always show me that spinning thing at the bottom? Oh, it's letting me know the game is coming. This game has no load icon at all and incredibly long load times, which wouldn't be a big issue. I like Destiny. But I'm in VR. I'm in sound deprivation, and you have locked my face into a black screen where I can't even look at my phone <laughs> for minutes at a time. <laughs> I mean, it does have that load screens, just not always. Sometimes you'll, you'll see like a little progress meter, but... I had to check three times because for three minutes this game loaded with me in, in a VR helmet looking at blackness. The load Nothing times are blackness. extremely it's, long. It's, yeah. it's in, they are a bit long. Th- this being a first party thing is embarrassing that 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 is embarrassing it's it's also in terms of like how the tech works one of the most finicky psvr experiences i've ever had in terms of like well mostly with the hand stuff because i was using the motion controls and it's like it really takes it wants your hand to be exactly in this one perfect position like i was trying to open the briefcase in the plane couldn't open the briefcase because it would not recognize my hand twisting I don't know what it wanted me to do, but my hand doesn't turn that way. It was, it's, I, <laughs> I, I think it's very weird because the, the, it does, it is, in some ways it's what I wanted. It's, it's, it does allow you to pretend to be Iron Man, the VR helmet. If you've seen the Jarvis infrastructure, of course, this is an intuitive thing that can easily be added in VR. What a great choice, but that you're using your hands like Iron Man to dictate your flight. And when you hold the move ones, to point your hands the way Iron Man would when thrusting himself, you are pointing them down and away from almost any setup you have with the PlayStation Eye. I was going to ask you guys, so like I, 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 my little gaming space, I can't stand. It's, it's just, you know, I have a recliner in front of the TV and stuff. Mm-hmm. I, so I had to try to play this game sitting, which is a super awkward experience. Yeah. Do you, are you able to stand and play this? Is that how the, is that how it's meant I mean, to be it's, played? It's clearly meant to be played that way. I played it sitting and I ran into I played some standing weirdness. And I, and I, I played it, I think, less than Michael because, like, I could not stand mm-hmm. it. Well, I, I, I have a thing where, like, I, I play in an armchair and so, like, oh, I can't put my arms down. I have to slide to the, the edge of the That's chair. That's what I was doing. Yeah. I was, like, leaning forward. Down. But, yeah. but then there, there are times where it's just like, I try to grab something and it's just like, oh, this, this item seems to be slightly out of the PlayStation's camera's range. Yes. yes. And so, like, my hand will stop just above it. It's like the problem you had with the, the briefcase. So what I would do is I would just, like, do a very fast downward arc with the controller so that the it keeps reading the momentum even after it's fallen off the, the, the camera and use that to just, like, grab the thing and, like, pull it back up. Yeah, and during the flight sequences for me, because I was playing the same way sitting, which is awkward, and they don't really intend you to do that. Mm-hmm. That's not how I turn. I turn on my fan full blast, mm. so I can pretend I'm in the. I'm not kidding. Like I stood up the whole time, which is also why I can't play this game very long. Mm. I have to stand up. Mm-hmm. None of us are good at standing up. We're not teenagers anymore. 
You're supposed to be Iron Man. Iron Man's thrusters are in his palms and mm. his feet. If yeah. you're steering, you need to be standing and using using your hands. Yeah, it, it is like a little Iron strange because like like you have to have palms out behind you, but that's kind of difficult to judge when you're holding the move controllers. Yeah, you're holding it's like, okay, and, you're, which, and gripping and gripping the trigger on them to fire. Yeah, my the my hands are curled up, so my brain isn't really thinking like where are my palms and which way are they pointing. And then, uh, do you guys remember uh, Superman sixty four? Like how how oh, the the flying through the rings felt. Flying through the rings. Yes. So there was definitely sequences where I'm like, my brain wants to go that direction and turn that direction. I was maybe not <laughs> twisting my palms the way the game wanted me to. I'm not physically. You also have to look in that direction to steer. Well, but there's the looking, but then there's the turn button. And sometimes I was like, mm. I would hit the turn button thinking, well, this will help. I'll, I'll do a ninety degree turn and I'll be in a better position to face the ring. Uh uh-uh. uh, that never worked. I, you know, the way I wish, I I wish someone, someone out there who maybe knows more about the technology. Um, I think that one of the biggest uh, differences, not in terms of tech, but from from a layman's perspective in PSVR and the other definitely more capable VR systems out there, is that you really can't. They don't. Sony Sony PSVR games don't allow you to walk anywhere on your own. Yeah. You have to look at an icon and warp to it every time. Even Resident Evil like doesn't allow you to like turn properly. Yeah, but I mean, you you can set certain games like so. Iron Man does have the like the, the smooth turning option, so you're not just like mm-hmm. going eh, 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 like like a you're you're clicking to different notches. It is weird. It feels like I'm playing Mist. <laughs> like yeah, <I'm, laughs> yeah, yes. that's bit. what a lot of VR games. Mm-hmm. Are. Yeah, it's not always ideal. You know, I was like, I couldn't tell if it was me. It sounds like it wasn't just me where I'm like, hey, I feel like I should be better at steering through these rings than I am. And the times where I got it, like there was a couple times it was like a ring lined up right in front of me and you double click the triggers for that boost. I felt badass. I'm like, this feels really cool and good. Unfortunately, just a lot of the time it didn't like like silly things like, okay, now my target is down below. And I'm like, well, shit, they haven't told me how to how to go down. Do I just let my thrusters go? Do I need to put my arms above my head and thrust so that they're... You gotta do that uh, Mm -hmm. that Jay-Z Tron pose. You gotta gotta raise the roof sometimes. (laughs) See, I gotta say, that's one of those abilities that seemed the most suspension of disbelief when I watched, you know, watched the movies or read the comics of him because, yeah, I've thought about that in the past when I was a kid about how it would be like to control that and... I have to admit, hearing that in VR sounds like the most awesome and the most, as a person approaching motion sickness, sickening thing. <laughs> it's it's mm. it's a it's a blessing and a curse because you you do get to fly around pretty accurately as Iron Man, but you also have to, if you were not in first person, you're basically a a standing up Gary's mod thing flying <laughs> everywhere. Iron Man, Iron Man is never flying prone; like he is always flying like <laughs> yeah. Scott Stapp in a music video. Standing straight up. And it is a little awkward that, like, the things that you use to uh, thrust and steer are also the things that you have to point to shoot. So, yes! Like, yes. You're, you're, you're thrusting that with your hands down, and it's like, okay, now shoot, so I have to lift up my hands, and now I'm falling. And, like, you, yeah. you can, like, I think double tap something to hover. That's a problem Iron Man would have every day. Yeah. Well, no, like, he has he has the, the feet jets. That's what you don't have in this game is, is yeah. the, the feet That's jets would let him keep hover. his upper body in the air, unless he's going, like, a thousand miles an hour. It's a, a yeah. sort of Iron So you kind of have people. to, like, alternate your hands, like, now I'm thrusting, now I'm shooting, now I'm thrusting, now I'm shooting, like... Left hand, right hand, left hand. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I hated that, but I didn't hate that because that's always how I assumed his suit worked. Yeah, if he's firing something, he's not thrusting or keeping himself balanced. It's very like realistic. It's an Iron Man simulator. 
so Iron Man has access to Jarvis, which all kinds of AI, where you, you're assuming he probably has autopilots on most of the time and shit, right? Whereas this game, I almost wish, like, hey, throw a little more auto steer in there for me. Let's let's just let me play into the fantasy that Jarvis is helping me steer this contraption mm-hmm. so that I don't feel like such an asshole running into rock pillars for five minutes trying trying to get through some yeah. arches here, you know? I'm, like, it is kind of cool that, like, they put a bunch of interactive stuff into Tony's mansion that you can wander around. Like, you can wander and play his uh, basketball arcade, or his, his arcade free-throw machine. You can uh, raid his fridge and pretend to eat his food. And so I have just, like, this would probably be a fun game to stream because I'm just uh, spite-eating everything in his fridge, uh, making all of his his juice pellets into smoothies and pretending to drink them, uh, and then just throwing everything against walls as hard as I can, or picking them up and bashing them against counters. But you're doing that as not Robert Downey Jr. talking to right. not Gwyneth Paltrow Pepper Potts. That, that's <laughs> the thing. It's just like, I feel like you overestimated how much time we want to spend with Tony Stark when he's not played by Robert Downey Jr. I really. think it's a, a problem that every Marvel interactive franchise yeah. or movie moving forward might have, which is post-MCU Marvel, mm-hmm. are we going to buy into these characters that they, they gave us 10 years to love and so much of the characters is down to the actors, like the charisma yeah. of those actors. It just, is it just me or does, does this Iron Man, he sounded like Chris Pine. I'm like, why did you hire Chris Pine to right. do Iron Man? <laughs> oh <my laughs> if you played the Sega games, they had a sound alike for Robert Eddie Jr. that was quirky and yeah. pretty similar. Yeah, yeah. And, and this guy, does, it, it's, it doesn't have to be the same. I'm not criticizing them for that. It just, we just, 302010 talks about the first X-Men movie and like, we are living in a weird alternate reality where X-Men really was the biggest Marvel team-up in the world, and the Avengers was a shit comic nobody read. And when Marvel started its own movie studio, the only thing they didn't sell to someone was Iron Man. And and it all worked, and Iron Man became one of the most recognizable characters of all time, despite, as a lifelong Marvel fan, he's he's up there for me solely because of Data East Avengers game. But he's still like my tenth favorite hero. When now he's like he to he, see him as the Superman of the Marvel universe is very strange. Yeah, and and I think there's there's other characters that may have adapted better to the VR experience. I'm, I'm anxious to see how that Square Enix game coming up, the Marvels, the mm-hmm. Avengers, if it has that same sort of uncanny valley of like, oh, this is not quite my Thor, this is not quite my Hulk, you know, while you're playing through it. Because I just, just like, yeah, not every other Iron Man Hulk. video game, you you steer. That's all you do as Iron Man when he's in flight. You steer, and this is just like, where are my hands? Oh God, yeah. <laughs> am I? My jazz handing enough to go backwards? Oh, fuck me. It's very awkward. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm surprised how, how good a reviews this thing has, because this is like one of the more miserable experiences I've, oh, I've had with it. something I've played, paid full price for. What's the German word for being mortified and embarrassed when someone walks in and you're looking stupid in VR? Because I feel like this game <laughs> embodies that. Uh, they, they actually, uh, the Germans just contacted me and told me they just call that PSVR now. It's pretty neat. <laughs> it's pretty neat. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love that on Reddit one time there was a picture. I think it made the Reddit homepage. It was, hey, check out this goober on the side of the road with his PSVR. And it was Adam Boyes, formerly of PlayStation, now of Iron Galaxy, like with his kids with a VR headset on the side of a road somewhere. What? Yeah, man, I, got, I got a buddy who has one of those like portable ones and just like does workout shit in public with it. And like, I, 
Every time I think I'm like cool with myself, I could never do that. And I, <laughs> I, I exercise exclusively in VR, and yeah. I want to do. It's that. like, is that the most uncool thing imaginable, or is it like, no, you are seriously cool if you have this much confidence? That's yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, I'm not shitting on him. Like that's it's it's it is funny. <laughs> Inadmirable at the same well, time. Well, you might not I be could... shitting on him, but everyone around him sure is because he can't <laughs> see. I have so many people from the game industry in my friends list that just stream themselves playing VR every morning because it's it's good geek exercise. It is. Dan Amrick does it. Yeah, he, he does like yeah. his little morning workouts and that stuff. Yeah, we have friends who, who've built careers on uh, VR fitness. He works out his full body, but does he play Catherine full body while doing mm, this? I don't. I probably uh, should. Was that a segue? Uh, well, it came It came to Switch. It, that game had been out oh. for a little while, and this is like the definitive version of Catherine. Oh, I can play it VR with Labo! Did you guys ever play <laughs> Maybe, full yeah. body and see what, what was different? Because it added the third Catherine, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I played Catherine, but I never played the full body. I just played the OG one, but but uh, I, I played Catherine, but then I uh, part way through I realized it was uh, it was a better anime than it was a Cubert game. <laughs> yes, <laughs> totally was. But wasn't it like it's all based in the Persona Five world, sort of? And so some of it is like was even like a tech test to say like, hey, can we do these? The bar sequences are like, oh, we're gonna try to do something like this in this Persona Five game coming up. So. I think the only reason so many people played it because it had like fucking night trap vibes. Like, am I going to get to see some tentacle sex yeah. in this shit? <laughs> yes. <laughs> am I going to get to see one of the Catherine's boobs? Yeah. <laughs> totally. So, I just want to see one Catherine boob. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you might see some tentacle sex in like a Deadly Premonition game because two mm. also came to the Switch this week exclusively. I, I don't see Swery so doing something like tentacle sex, I but know. yes, Deadly Premonition 2. <laughs> We'll be out by the time you hear this. Yes, a blessing in disguise is the subtitle for that game, which Switch I exclusive think is really that that actually makes sense for the hardware because like, well, I was going to say <laughs> yeah that, that 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 was like a PS2 era game on 360, and now it's, I, yeah. I mean some of the reviews I've seen for the new game they actually do point out some of the performance issues. So yeah, like uh, frame rate frame rate is uh, yeah a yeah. big an issue, but like I've also seen people saying like. That is what Deadly Premonition should be. This should be janky as hell. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's true. I mean, do they mean it like in the sense people say that about Bethesda games? Well, Bethesda. no, I, th- I think part of, part of Deadly Premonition's charm is kind of how rough around the edges it is. And I uh. think, you know, the very first iteration of that game was kind of infamously terrible. And people kind of loved it both in spite of and because of that. And then uh, I think Director's Cut kind of clean, like streamlined a lot of the things. Like you weren't just like trudging around in hallways sh- shooting zombies endlessly. Um, like you know, it, it felt a bit quicker the last time I picked it up. You still have to drive like forty minutes between. Oh yeah, totally, right? totally. But you know, again, that's part of the charm. Drive for forty minutes through a largely featureless world. I, I think yeah, for these games, a lot of their charm is like. Can you believe this guy's trying this shit in this game? Like, are you serious right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've ne- I've never never really gotten into him. I tried that um, the DD the Dark Dreams Don't Die that that connect mm-hmm. uh, kind of unofficial D4. spiritual successor to Deadly Premonition yep. did not did not really uh, click with me. But that's the all right. show Dave Redden loves it, but I think somebody I saw somebody tweeting uh, like the review scores, and there is such a spread from like nines all the way down to fives and it's just like yes this is what a deadly premonition should do is inspire a lot of disagreement 
Like, some people should love it, and some people should think it's the worst thing they've ever seen. This this is the kind of game that's all about who the editor is assigning it to, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you do yeah. not assign it to the wrong person, because right. they're not going to like this game at all. <laughs> But should you assign a game to somebody based on how much you think I was going to say like you're it? stepping into a minefield yeah. there. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like for this kind of game that, that is meant to appeal to fans, I would like to read a review by a fellow fan of the series to figure out yes. if, like, as yes. a fan, I'm going like, to buy if, it. Like, if I liked Deadly Premonition 1, will I like Deadly Premonition 2 should be the key question. And I have a feeling, like, that even the reviewers of this are people who enjoyed Deadly Premonition 1 and some of them still hate this one and some of them love it. Mm. I think that's a definite case. Yeah. It's not like we're comparing to Witcher 2 versus Witcher 3. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's <laughs> Which are dramatically different games, by the way. So there's there's one more game that we that we based our list on that we haven't played because it comes out Friday. That's the Bloodstained Curse of the Moon 2. Um, yes. It's coming to several platforms, so PC, Switch, PS4, and Xbox. One, Michael, I want you, I couldn't figure out if I should put this in new releases or news because it was sort of both, but I want you to tell us all about Hyperscape, Ubisoft's new Battle Royale game. Yes, it is a new Battle Royale game. Uh, I believe it's in technical tests this week. Oh, I was going to go get a drink, but this actually sounded really cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's 100 player or 99 player Battle Royale. I'm not entirely sure because I've been really busy with other stuff, so forgive It's 100 me. player. 100, 100 player. Yeah. Yes. It takes place in a modern city. Yes, it's, it's a modern city. Uh, I believe it's based on Paris, um, mm. but it is, it's like yeah, everything's divided up into these neighborhoods, and you have uh, you can use the rooftops, you can fight in the streets. Like the the architecture of the city is uh, very key to gameplay and gives it a different feel than a lot of other battle royales. Uh, I think that you you also have different hacks that you could take advantage of, like double jumps, um, teleportation. There's a bunch of different weapons you can find scattered around. My my experience with it is extremely limited, so take anything I say with a grain of salt. But it does have, yeah. it it seems to have a more arcadey feel. But well, and one of the things they did because it's it's so free to play. We forgot to mention that. Yes. Um, yes. Is they they clearly are understanding like a big part of battle royale game success is is streaming is Twitch, yes. and so they built a lot of connectivity between this game and Twitch, where like viewers can actually activate stuff in the matches like you can give all the players unlimited ammo or you can unlock actually unlock battle pass progression just by by watching other people stream the game so they're mm-hmm. this is sort of their ubisoft's bet on like yeah we, we're going to get into this genre clearly watching what has worked for people like Fortnite and PUBG and saying yeah and we're going to kind of build this right off the bat just boom this is straight up integrated with twitch one of the things you were saying was uh, a second ago, Michael, is that you know the urban setting. I just kind of realized that, like PUBG and Fortnite and um, even Apex Legends, they always have these kind of like rural settings on mm-hmm. the side. Is this entirely urban? Um, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a city. That's, that's a new name. Yeah, it, which I think it adds a lot of verticality to the maps too. When you, when you can like go up on top of buildings to fight. The conceit is really that's interesting cool. to me, and in that it's the idea of like this is. It, it, it's it's a virtual world even inside of the game's story and that like 
this is a, a virtual reality world where people go to to work and play, and uh, this is where people will spend a lot of their lives. And one of the most popular ways to play is uh, this game that's it's it's a battle royale. So it's like you're you're playing a game about a VR battle royale. So nobody's actually dying or anything, but it's it's like yeah, we overlay the game onto the city where we do all the stuff. A virtual mm. world, you say, Michael, where people go to relax? <laughs> yeah, right. That sounds like something featured in our first news item. Yeah. News. The place where you go to relax, it's a virtual world. That sounds like the mm-hmm. Oasis from Ready Player One. Yeah, or now Ready Player Two. Uh, Michael and I are on record. We are fans of the book. And I yes. know that's no longer cool to be a it's, fan of it's that book. It's very unpopular to be a fan of this book. Yes. Uh, we, we are aware of this. I'm a fan of... Uh, uh, that movie as long as you're in the Oasis. <laughs> yes. I am really not yes. a fan of that movie at all. I was one of those people that started the book and I I could not get through the list. It was just like say like a big collection of lists and stuff like this. Here's the thing, I, I have said this before and and gotten gotten a bit of uh, ridicule for it, but I strongly believe that the way to consume Ready Player One is the audiobook. Because then it's Will Wheaton just saying all this stuff to you, and you can passively absorb <laughs> it. Because I, I tried to read the read the book the second time that I uh, read this, and I started in, and I think I got to the point where he's talking about him and his friend H in their virtual basement, like having trivia offs with this poser dude and I'm like this is fucking excruciating. I don't remember this being this bad. And then I went back to the audiobook and like. Oh no, it's fine. No, it's like okay, the, yeah, this dialogue's kind of rough, but it improves, and yeah, it's just Will Wheaton saying like lists of reference, reference, reference. Fine, like this is all creating pictures in my head that weren't there when I was trying to struggle through the writing. Mm. Um, but but yeah, I, I I think that that is great, and I I enjoyed it as a, a fantasy story. I enjoyed the nostalgia, which is not mine. Uh, no, but it is slightly before ours. It is, yeah. It's it's like this weird, like late seventies to mid eighties nostalgia that is extremely specific and one, very one of the games I'm, I'm very looking forward to talking to you both about on thirty twenty ten games is what I called the most American franchise in history. Bigfoot, the monster truck. <laughs> oh, the monster truck! It's, I was going to say it's 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 in the movie, uh-huh. and it's yes. just like, why was this ever? I never knew anyone who was a Bigfoot fan, but every boy had it. It had its own cartoon series. Yeah, I think I might even have a little bit more of that nostalgia than you, Michael and Chris, because I had an older brother who was mm, about oh, roughly shit. three years older than me. So some of that stuff I knew about through him, and so like, yeah, that very particular uh, span yeah. of of years that this, this book was being nostalgic for is like oh yeah that that's all the stuff my brother would have been into yeah but in it, it's all stuff like the Dungeons and Dragons Tomb of Horrors uh, the, yeah. the what is it um, Tandy game uh, yeah Dungeons of Daggerath the uh, right. Russia's like what's what's the the Rush album like uh, the the priests of the Temple of Syrinx the trees yes. are alive and singing to me. I Probably it's yes, called. yeah. No, it's it's yes. like a number or something. But like all that stuff, like I, I I learned about it as I was reading the book, and it's like, well, this is kind of interesting. 
and I, I, knew, I knew of most of the stuff. And, and so the book did tickle that nostalgia thing for me, but I'm like, Oh, it's cool to see someone as like, and I get it. Like his whole thing. I think, I think the reason people go back and look back at ready player one and go, how could we have liked that? They didn't realize that's Ernest Klein's whole trick. Like his only yeah. trick is really to I mean, play if, on that. And nostalgia. if you read Armada, his follow-up, like, oh god, this is even worse. <laughs> it's, it's. I mean, that one is like his nostalgia for that plus the Last Starfighter because that's mm-hmm. all that that book is. But I liked Armada. I did yeah, like it Armada. Was, it was so fun. It wasn't as good as Ready Player One. But, but. I, Michael, I saw you respond to someone on Twitter because they were speculating, like, oh, oh yeah, no, like, it's going to be nostalgic for like nineties well, and two thousand because, because he said. Uh, I'm I'm um, I just realized that Rick and Morty is almost definitely going to be a plot point, and I said, "Well, like, no, his his nostalgia is so specific yeah. that I would be surprised." And then he's like, "Well, you know, after the last one, I expect it to focus on '90s and 2000s nostalgia, maybe." But I also don't think I think that that would have to be something Ernest Klein had to research. And yeah. on, on top of that, yes. my guess would actually be. If I were just to spitball, Ready Player Two might be focusing on one of the other characters, maybe Artemis or H, that mm-hmm. parallels the storyline of the first one. The Artemis being that makes sense with the title, the, the white girl love interest. I disagree. You clearly haven't listened to Will Smith's "Just the Two of Us" enough. It is his kid. Mm-hmm. It, it will be whatever that generic character's name. You, you are probably right. I I really hope you're wrong. But but I think I think it would be interesting if it were a, a a sort of reaction to the criticism that he's gotten for just focusing on a very narrow type of nostalgia and be like I'm going to explore other people's nostalgia. I'm going to look at hip hop from that era. I'm going to look at things that were aimed at girls from that era. Like that could be could be interesting maybe if if he continues yeah. with the same shtick or maybe he'll just write an original novel where about like trying to create to save this world that was obsessed with nostalgia and create something new yeah i don't think he's going to pull a forrest gump where he's going to to try to shoot decades in the future and, and update it all i think he's either going to do what you're saying michael which is kind of relive the nostalgia in the areas he didn't explore before or maybe he'll go a few years in the future which takes us to the mid 80s mid to late 80s it's mm-hmm. not going to be 90s yeah. 2000 nostalgic because it's going to have to be something that he's familiar with like you said if he researches this it's not going to well, because the oasis is written it's based on the nostalgia of the original programmers and so that's why it fo- and well the game that the first yeah. game is based on it focuses on that very specific the, era the, because the they're of that age yeah, yeah. And yes. and I would say if you want a Ready Player One that's based on '90s and 2000s nostalgia, uh, Bash Bash Revolution is basically that uh, plus Smash Brothers huh. instead of a VR oh. world. So nice. Yeah, actually, one of my problems with the movie, and I know they had to do this because they're like, well, look, we want kids of a certain age to come see this thing. They threw in elements. I'm like, that was not that era yeah. in the there was no, they, way they, too they modern throughout the iron giant basically everything like yeah iron giant might have been the oldest bit of nostalgia in there like the, no, the no, oldest no. All, all 80s kids were really into michael bay's ninja turtle <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> or Overwatch. they couldn't even do yeah our the, the original ninja turtles movie man yeah. i know what the f- ernie reyes jr bro you gotta throw ernie reyes jr in there somehow mm-hmm. damn damn <laughs> sorry that's <laughs> favorite line from me. Uh, the thing is, it's just like, okay, I I knew they probably weren't going to be like, I'm in a lifelike uh, recreation of war games, and I have to say all of Matthew Broderick's lines. Like, okay, you're probably not going to do that, but uh, that would have been interesting, at least. I love 
I love war games. War yeah. games is a great yeah. flick. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And I think if, if this this thing's coming out in November, we should say, yeah. by the way. So it's, it's relatively soon. November 24th in North America. Um, this is something he confirmed back in 2017 he has been working on. So yeah, whatever. Like, fucking stop being so jaded and let people if, like things. If, if you if you don't want to read it, don't read it. Like, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. I'm actually more interested to read this, having seen yeah. the movie, having gotten through, got the idea. And then, you know... Because if it does end up like he is moving past that, I'd like to see how that turns out. And if you don't want to do it, you can take that extra $10 that you would have spent on this book and you can mm-hmm. spend it on NBA 2K21, which uh, 2K <laughs> is the first shots fired in the next gen uh, price uh, thing where they're they are the base level of NBA 2K21 is going to be $70 instead of the typical 60 I wanted to get the panel's takes on this. Hmm. Oh God, that was a good point. The way you said that with the base, because if it has microtransactions, well, that's actually that's my point. Is like they can sort of hide behind that because the NBA 2K games, just like the Madden games, they mostly make a lot of their money on virtual currency after the game, and so I would imagine you'll get the game, and then they'll say, "Here, here's here's ten dollars worth of premium currency with that," so they can sort of hide behind that. Uh, it's what GTA Five had been doing for years. Like, oh, we're going to resell you this game, but we'll give you forty dollars worth of shark cards or whatever. So, but but other games, like other kind of typical, let's say, campaign experiences, aren't going to be able to rely on that virtual currency trick. So, is this but the first of of a next generation pricing, guys, or do we think this is Two uh, K maybe trying this and they're going to be on their own? Well, one thing I, I you know that it's seventy dollars. Maybe this is one of the reasons why they went with a sports game with this. I have a feeling that those kind of go down quickly after release or something like that. But a lot of these prices drop not long after their, you know, after the initial launch. And, you know, it's not just sports games. It's a lot of games. And maybe that is taking advantage of that first flood of income, whereas they'll, you know, they know it'll eventually have sales and everything else later on. Hmm. Could be. I mean, I I think, you know, raising the price of games is something that I've heard, you know, the the industry talking about for at least the past 10 years and saying that, like, this is an untenable model. Uh, Game prices have not adjusted upward since, like, the 90s, Um, which I would say, like, well, in the 90s, we had games that were valued between, like, 40 and 90 dollars. Um, it was kind of like this weird sliding scale that was based partly on like how many ROM chips were in the, the thing right. in the cartridge. And how, how deliberately hard they were for ultimately was a 20 minute experience. Yes. Well, I, I do have to do a slight correction there is, is games did adjust prices at the beginning of the 360 and PS3 eras, which was, mm. which was mid two thousands, right? Cause yeah. that's when they jumped from 50 to 60 and I'm old enough where I was in the industry at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't remember there being any sort of discussions. Um, it just sort of was one of those things that happened. A- yeah. And I, I think it might have been EA. Like it had to have been EA at the time that took those first steps. Like now we're we're going sixty. This is the HD era. This is what wouldn't, we're doing. Wouldn't surprise mm-hmm. me. And it, like I also remember a time when uh, console games were sixty dollars and PC games were fifty dollars mm-hmm. because PC games didn't have to pay console licensing fees and they're just like let's just make it 60 across the board not not to spoil our last of us podcast mm-hmm. patreon.com slash laser time um you could have cut that game in half and charged me 40 dollars twice mm-hmm. and i'd have been mm-hmm. a happy customer yeah. i did not 
I thought that was excessively long. <laughs> so um, one of one of the big consulting firms in the industry, IDG, they um, their president was out there saying that there's other publishers considering this, um, and he he did point out. So the last big price change took place in 2005 and six when you went from 50 to 60. But he was saying the reason publishers like so game dev has increased almost 200 to 300 percent in that time. Uh The cost of making a game. We have not. And then adjusted for inflation. If you look at other other types of entertainment. So movie ticket prices have gone up 40 percent since 2005, 2006. Netflix subscription has doubled in price. Uh, Cable TV packages have have gone up 100 percent. So this change, if you go from 60 to 70, would still just be a 17% increase. So compared to other entertainment, but there's, I think there's still a psychological thing in games, you know, game buyers minds. Like it's tough to be like, I'm used to 60. How can you go to 70 all of a sudden? I've been paying 60 for a lot of my adult life. Um, I I would say also, um, I'd be curious to know what, what audience numbers have done in that time. Like has, has, have, the audience has the right. audience grown to the point Fractured where you make up the loss with with numbers, or uh, has it stayed the same? In which case, maybe a price hike is justified. The total <laughs> gaming market has grown mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like core console. I'm talking core like PC console yeah. games, mobiles. This whole fucking thing and free to play and all this stuff is, is. I mean, the the industry, but the total industry revenue has grown exponentially. It's grown a lot, right? So it has, but I don't know if it's enough to make up for the extra dev cost, and that's why you see things like these live games that are charging for mm-hmm. things like battle passes. Like we've known for years, like this is the way you help pay for this additional um, development cost. Is you have to figure out ways to get more than you know. Just the sixty dollars model isn't isn't going to cut it for a lot of games. Yes, the overall pool of people you can sell to and speak to has grown, especially if you consider things like internationalization and the markets like China are coming online, right? And so all of a sudden, like, huge revenue source there, right? But it's still, like, developers were... It, they weren't... I know I know the, the narrative out there is that people just been greedy, and it's like, well, no, they were, they were charging for these things because they needed to to pay for that development. So right. um, I'm anxious to see if, they're, if, if 2K is going to go out there and fall on their face because the reaction was not... It was about what you'd expect it to be. People yeah. were not happy mm-hmm. with this announcement. Um, and they, they kind of buried it, though, because there's several some versions. some QA testers got death threats. Well, there, there's several versions coming out, and one of the versions is like this special Kobe edition, which is playing on my heartstrings, and I'm like, fuck. But that's like a $100 edition. And they, they even then said... Um, like so this is by the way i'm sorry for the next gen versions the current gen versions are coming like in september i want to say and those are still 60 Hmm. then the next gen versions aren't going to be ready until december and those are the ones that are 70 but there's a hundred dollar edition that's like the deluxe edition get you all kinds of cool shit and that one contains basically a license for both right so if you buy the kobe edition at launch the hundred buck one you you can play it on your xbox one or ps4 now and then play it later so Um, they only include smart delivery for the upper for for the hundred dollar edition interesting And, and and so then kind of in a related story to this pricing thing, Microsoft has gone out there and rumor has it they've been telling uh, developers and publishers not to charge for next-gen upgrades. Um, so 
which is which is different than what happened last gen. Like I remember being at Ubisoft, where I believe Ubi was one of the companies that, for like Assassin's Creed Black Flag, if you bought the 360 version, you could spend ten dollars and get the the Xbox One version or something. In for, apparently for this generation, Microsoft is asking publishers and developers like, hey either use smart delivery which is our service that gets you the license for both or your own solution like ea has their own solution for madden which is it's kind of weird it's it's like well if you buy it you can get a free upgraded next-gen version but only in the first year after release of the game anything after that and you and you lose that that privilege so but yeah so it seems like microsoft is kind of like saying hey don't don't charge for these upgrades but I don't think that anyone, any of the first parties have weighed in on the sixty or seventy dollar question yet, and or whether their model of releasing Skyrim on eight hundred platforms, how does this affect every <laughs> game's bottom line? Mm-hmm. I don't know. This is this is all very weird. I wish games were half as long and um, half as much. Ooh. I'm sorry, two, like two, three quarters, uh, two thirds as much. I'm just I know this is me being an old man but like I love games and I hate that so many of them like always need the same price out of me and they always require the same amount of time out of me why do you need 60 hours of my time I think the problem is the way the the economics work out is actually yeah developers would love to give you these games that are shorter but they yeah. would still to pay for development they would need to still charge you 60 for that and that's what is going to so? you know oh yeah I feel, I feel like from here on out, for multiplayer, always you pay extra. The special edition has multiplayer, and you pay extra. If I'm not using, if I have no intention of using your multiplayer, I shouldn't be paying the same price as you. Hmm. That's sorry, never mind. No, I, I, I see what you're saying. Like, yeah, I would like like if you were to divvy up games and say, okay, you're just paying for Call of Duty multiplayer. Yeah, if you consider them two the separate products, mm-hmm. yeah, you like this game, you can you can do it all day and night <laughs> with your friends and family, and uh, and like well, I have no intention of doing that. I'd like to play your. 10 hour campaign and maybe give you 30 bucks right now and yeah no no one's tried that no one has tried that and i think some people i was i was i follow a couple analysts on like twitter um matt piscatella from mpd was kind of saying hey because remember a few weeks ago sean Layden was going on record saying hey we need more shorter games piscatella's like yeah you can do that through these like subscription services but we got to figure out like will this cover the cost of development you know if you make shorter games i can buy more things from your company (laughs) <laughs> Listen, I downloaded something that I got off the PlayStation Store. Uh, that Stay Cool Kobayashi-san, the the uh, River City Kunio spinoff game, oh, yeah. and it was like 375 megabytes. And it asked me if I wanted to download single player or multiplayer first. It's like Wait, this is wow. going to be done in like 10 <laughs> seconds. I don't care. The Call of Duty games have always done that. Yeah, on Steam. but it's it's weird for a game that is less than 500 megabytes right. to say. Oh, that. Yes, yeah. that's what he was getting at. I totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> Wait till they reintroduce those data caps. Then you'll really wish everyone was asking oh, you that God. question, Michael. Yeah, yeah. But I made uh, sure I downloaded every MMO so it was on my computer. <laughs> it's coming at the end of July, man. Those caps are coming back. It's interesting that the the discourse has shifted to like, oh, we want shorter games. I'm remembering we we talked about Wanted earlier, the yeah. the Wanted tie-in game, and if you'll remember, like I think the main criticism against that was mm. it's only six hours, so it's a great mm. rental. But do you want to pay sixty dollars for it? 
No. Well, and that, that's where things like subscription services come into play. Is like, hell yeah. yeah. I mean, if it's included in that subscription service. Yeah, true, true. Because we all know we pay for those and we keep calling the games and they're free. It's like, well, we're paying mm-hmm. over time. Yeah, but they feel free. Like like Netflix. I'm, I'm paying to watch these things, but they right. feel like they're free. Right. But uh, we don't we don't know. We don't know how much the developers make from those games by including those in those services. Mm-hmm. Um, so on uh, more Microsoft news, I was talking about the, you know the hey them apparently discouraging people from from charging for upgrades. Another big Microsoft rumor um, going around is that they may want to buy WB Interactive, mm-hmm. makers of the Batman games, of the uh, Shadow of Mordor slash War games, mm-hmm. and all the Lego games. Yeah, I have a feeling, I, I think I saw somebody saying that, like, maybe the main reason that they've been able to make such great games is because they had access to the IP yeah. being at Warner Brothers. I said that. So Yeah, yeah, I think I, I also saw a friend of the show, Chris Cloud, was saying that. It's like, if, if yeah. you lose access to the DC library mm-hmm. and the Warner library, pretty much what you have is Mortal Kombat. I Sorry, that's the other big series I forgot to include in there. They, they, yeah. they publish all NetherRealm games. So pretty much what you have is NetherRealm games Studio and the Lego Studio that's made Car 3. Uh, I, but I think, um, let's also remember, we've known people at both companies. They are in the same city. And this is very likely. And uh, anything that doesn't require multiplayer, Microsoft will probably... Uh, uh, keep to themselves but everything else will probably be multi-platform because same thing has happened with every other game microsoft has owned and purchased sorry who's in the same city wb and yeah and i thought their their main u.s headquarters are in seattle with with microsoft no their main their main headquarters are on the wb lot that's what's going to be awkward oh shit all right (laughs) i have a lot of ex vivendi friends who went to wb and and X Activision people. Oh, Monolith is there. Sorry, but uh, Monolith is up in Seattle. You're right. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I would expect you might have an exclusive. There's no way they limit the reach of Mortal Kombat, especially with how open they've been with Cuphead and Mortal Kombat and Halo. Like, I mean, I, I could see Microsoft has the deep pockets to be like, yeah, we'll pay whatever licensing fees, but. You know, then that that creates a Sony Marvel. Situation. I, I expect them to not be very excited about making Harry Potter or. or Batman games anymore, but if they own Mortal Kombat, that's all I really care about. The other folks that are in the mix, apparently, um, EA, uh, Take-Two, and Activision. And Activision is the one that interests me most because, A, they are in the same city. They're down the street. They're in Santa Monica. But, B, Activision used to have a robust licensing business that sort of went away and I yeah. could see them being like, "Hey, we we liked making money on those Spider-Man games. We should maybe we get love back making into that deadliest catch games." <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I could see maybe active because the other thing we've talked about on this show before is like, "Hey, Activision needs to get more games in in their slate. Like it's it's pretty much Call of Duty every year." And yeah, not everybody can work on Call of Duty and Big Buck Hunter. You got to. Diversify, yeah. friend. I mean, they got those Tony Hawk remakes, but then that's someone's like, okay. got to make a Men in Black game. They just do. Oh, I mean, God, can you imagine like Mortal Kombat being published by Activision? That would just feel weird. Yeah, hmm. a little bit. I, I speak for everybody saying nobody wants that. <laughs> <laughs> nobody wants that at all. Yeah. We should all kickstart buying the game studio before that happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? I, what people do want, guys? They want news on Ubisoft games. Uh, Ubisoft actually revealed the time and date of their upcoming Ubisoft Forward event. So it's going to be uh, this Sunday, July twelfth. 
at uh, 11 Pacific is the pre-show, 12 noon is the Pacific is the main show. I will be doing live reacts on that show mm-hmm. on uh, twitch.tv slash C. Allen, so check me out there. Um, but they confirmed some of the stuff they'll be showing, and so we will. We should have a plethora of news next yeah. week on games like Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Watch Dogs Legion, uh, more on Hyperscape, and then they just said a few surprises, hmm. which people. I mean, again, Michael works there, so yes. Full disclosure, no speculation on Michael's part. I may have actually been involved in creating some of the content uh, in the after show. You may actually hear my Ooh. voice. Awesome. So other possibilities, and again, this is not Michael speaking. This is Matthew Allen, Mm -hmm. uh, former Ubisoft employee. But Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so other other thing rumored. Not they're not even rumor games. It's just like games. People are like, hey, this has to be announced soon. Far Cry Six, a new Splinter Cell game. Skull and Bones, which has been forever since we've seen. Uh, Gods and Monsters, which apparently will have a new name when they show that. Rainbow Six Quarantine. Uh, and beyond good and evil to all games, it's been quite some time since we've heard about. So there you have it. That'll be uh, this upcoming Sunday. Again, check me out, twitch.tv slash Allen. Got to get in there. Hmm. <laughs> uh, and then last bit of this isn't, I don't know if it's news per se, but I kind of wanted to have a little little game with you guys. Um, so, so there was Portland PR Agency did a survey in honor of its, uh, hey, today as we record, it's National Video Game Day, so congrats to us for that. Um, they did a survey about A, what the biggest game consoles are from current gen, which is like, whatever, I just don't want to feed the console war fire, so forget that. But B, the best video game franchises of all time, and I wanted, I don't want you guys to look at the article, I wanted to to basically pull play a little game of like uh, Family Feud here, Sure. And see if you guys can pull these out and name. I have ten entries here, but let's see if you okay. can name the ten entries. I, I bet I know one that we. It's a, a series we've never mentioned before. Hmm. You want to go round robin, or just uh, we'll we'll just shout them out as we hear them. Just shout them out. I mean, okay. We're not going to structure this thing. Is one of them Roblox? Roblox is not on there. Oh. No. Uh, Michael, do you want to take a guess at one? Oh, I thought I thought you were going to play sounds or something. Um, well, Zelda seems like a no-brainer. Zelda is number six on the list. Woo, so. I win. Mm. Minecraft and Fortnite are definitely there. Nope. What? Neither? Minecraft and Fortnite are not on the list. Is this awareness or sales-based? Actually, the question was posed, best video game franchise ah. of all time. Was Final Fantasy in there? Final Fantasy is number eight. Okay. Mario, obviously. As, as Mario, he's going to be Mario. Super Mario. Do we see Super Mario? Super Mario is number one. Yes, mm. number oh, one. Okay. Yes. That makes and sense. Street Fighter, probably. Uh, not on the list. No. <laughs> That's no. bullshit. Uh, Mickey Mouse Capade, of course. <laughs> you guys are missing some biggies. You're missing... Remnants? That's got to be in there. Uh-huh. Nope, nope. Sorry. Mm-hmm. But I Dark tried. Souls might be. Uh, nope, 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 nope. Halo. Halo, Halo. Do we have Halo? Number nine on the list is okay, Halo. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was saying. <laughs> Number nine. So, are we talking Madden? You guys are th- thinking, you're, I think you're thinking a little too hardcore game. Think big Game names that everyone knows. Think like well, a like we were talking, Did we already say Sonic? Because we were talking about that earlier. Sonic. Do we have Sonic? 
Number seven. The lucky number seven is on the list. But it still isn't on the bottom of the list. What are we talking here? Like uh, Angry Birds? <laughs> Did I miss Angry Birds? Leif has gotten... He's like, he's like 10 for 10, and you guys have barely picked out one. Come on. I think I'm done now. <laughs> Tony Hawk? <laughs> Tony Hawk is not on the list. Bigger. Think bigger games. We're Call of Duty. Ah, yes. Did we say Call of Duty? I think we did, yeah. Do we have Call of Duty? Call of Duty is number two on the list. Leif nailing it. I'm just going with the popular franchises. (laughs) We talked about one of these earlier in this show. I know Uh, America's uh, Army. No. (laughs) No. Uh, Castlevania. No. Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong is number three. What? Really? Is that how? How? <laughs> From Billy Madison? Know. Like, how would kids know about Donkey Kong? <laughs> well, through country, <laughs> tropical freeze. We talked about another one of these franchises earlier on the show as well. I talked about the fifth version of this franchise. Fifth version of this franchise? Fifth Persona? Persona? Grand Theft Auto <laughs> uh, is on the list at number four. PlayStation 5 after seven years. I think we've determined. Don't try and make up for your ignorance, Wikipara. Leif rules. You guys drool. But here's here's the rest of the list. So Pokemon. You you didn't mention Pokemon. Um, So Zelda was on the list. We talked to Sonic at number seven. Final Fantasy. Leif got Halo number nine. Crash Bandicoot was number ten. Really? I would not have guessed that ever. Yeah. Yeah. You should not have that many. You can't have three good games to be a recognizable (laughs) franchise. (laughs) That's ridiculous. I don't know. I don't know. The methodology, I guess they, they pulled a thousand people. So I don't know. You know, maybe it was just an odd thousand people not matching Into up a back guys. alley with a gun to their head? <laughs> Get in <laughs> here. What's don't your favorite say video Street game? Fighter. <laughs> don't say Street Fighter, whatever here, you do. Here's the thing. I bet, I bet that a lot of the respondents who said Crash Bandicoot were kids when the Vivendi games were coming out and remember those fondly. <laughs> I barely remember. Honestly. No. That's, that, I worked which on those is also and I Matt's remember fault. those yep. fondly. <laughs> we can blame Matt directly. It's all the news that's fit to play, gentlemen. Hooray. I, I love that. I was very happy with that. I like feeling irrelevant. Yeah. <laughs> Especially wish I knew what number 11 was of Crash Bandicoot. Well, what's, what's crazy is you guys were, you were, I think you were trying to outsmart the survey because you were giving like more modern answers like Fortnite. Like, ah, okay, I'm like Minecraft. And I'm like, no. Go with your gut. Go with the classics, man. Uh, yeah, I, I forgot about the longevity and stav- staying power of Soap McTavish. It's Ready Player One. Undeniable. Take the learn the lessons. Yep. No. <laughs> Lady Hawk. <laughs> That's a video game, right? <laughs> but I do have the novelization of the movie in my house right now. Oh, my God. Let's move on to the community segment, which is always a segmenting our community. Last week's question of the week, as you might remember, was what game... Are you looking forward to most in the latter half of the year? Leif, did you already answer this? Is it Ghost of Tsushima? Yeah, it, it is. It totally is. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if that counts because it's like, it like next week or no, something. And after that, if you need one, and he, Mike, Michael did not plug me, tell me to plug this, but uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I oh. think that's delicious. Oh. Thank you. I'm very excited for that, too. Yes. Ditto. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm real out of, out of loop with this kind of stuff um, nowadays. I don't want to hear about a game until I know it's coming out mm. soon. Okay. And, uh, uh, I, I, but really one of the stupid things I'm excited about is, and they haven't confirmed anything, is those Mario remasters. I think everyone shits on Super Mario Sunshine, and I think if someone brought that out on a good controller, we would see that for the 3D classic that it is. I would love to play that again in a legal way. 
I, I'm so, I'm so excited because all points I've seen mean that's happening. Hmm. Uh, I, I hope that's happening. Sorry, but yeah. I think I think you're probably right. They're probably waiting for this new Paper Mario game to yeah. to get out of the way, clear the runway there before they announce their next thing this yeah. year. Mario the Origami King. It's, it's just the, it's a Paper Mario is a trick from Japanese developers to see how many Americans are still alive. <laughs> Not many. <laughs> They might uh, buy games this Christmas. There's at least a third of them left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll only buy a Super Mario Sunshine remake if they license uh, Lens seminal summer hit, Steal My Sunshine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Again, listen to that guy isolated. I know! It's up! <laughs> For me, <laughs> it's so. You sound like the homeless guy in UHF. Making sure I'm not in too deep. Girl voice. Thanks, Mister. Thanks a lot. One whole dollar. <laughs> that was a shockingly good impression. Uh, well, Nick Turner was the first to answer on the official Laser Time Facebook community, who says. I'm cyber excited to cyber upgrade my cyber dig in Cyberpunk 2077. Second place goes to replaying some of my favorite games from my childhood with the rumored Mario Remasters. Mm. I, I, I should say that too. I am kind of crazy excited for Cyberpunk. I've never been the biggest Witcher fan, but I recently mm-hmm. played it for multiple hours. Mm. And while I love the game and think it's a masterpiece, I find its setting less interesting than what Cyberpunk is. And it's funny, I'm not that interested in cyber. I mean, I like the concept. I don't hate people. Yeah, I just can't get excited about it. So I'm no, quite I'm, the opposite. I'm fucking in, man. I, I, I would rather <laughs> live in a bad future than an old an old past. So I, I, <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair enough. Carrie Chandler says, Well, I've been looking forward to Cyberpunk 2077 since it was first announced. I think my two biggest anticipated games of the year are Death Stranding and Horizon Zero Dawn on PC. As a PC gamer who skipped out on the PS4... These were two of a handful of PS4 exclusives that made me really regret not getting the system. I'm really looking forward to finally catching up on these two games that both seem right up my alley. I agree. Um, Matthew LeGrave says uh, Witcher 3 was my uh, game of the last decade, so Cyberpunk is a shoe. And in terms of games that aren't so obvious, Baldur's Gate 3 and Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2 will also be doing their part in scratching my RPG itch in different ways. Ooh, that could be interesting. And Jesse Moore's is real interesting. I want that new X-Wing game. <laughs> Me too. I am sad that it looks like you can't pilot a B-Wing, but maybe it will be DLC. Either way, Red 5 standing by. Uh, wow, I am. I forgot about that. I am incredibly excited to VR. Yeah, X-Wing I was amazed fight. by that too. Oh, oh, God. God. We got Connor Wade here who says, Do consoles count? Because I'm excited to get my hands on a PS5 when it launches. Price won't really bother me, but I'm hoping that the system is a little more quiet than the PS4. I hate how much it sounds like a plane taking off regardless of yes. what I play on it. Especially like trying to play through Last of Us 2, even on headphones. It feels like I've got a jet engine right next to me. Oh, God. I think that was a PS4 Pro problem because I mm. played on the standard PS4 and it did not yeah, do bad. that to mine. All so the extra muscle just a little bit. Uh, what year did the Switch come out again? 
2017? 2017. 2017. Uh, you can't find those anywhere. <laughs> so yes. you will not be able to find a PS5 at all. None it of It feels you. like launch months. Every time some store has them available, you see articles on like IGN. It's like, oh, uh, Best Buy has yep. Switches again. It's wild. I, I, I did that. I wanted to do that mod project because I thought I could do it for under, under 100 bucks. And like everything that has a spinny device attached, attached to electricity is 50 to 70% more expensive right now. Wow. And that's not yeah. going to change with new consoles at all. It's Yeah. yeah. It, it, they're going to be they're going to they're going to intentionally release them and make them short like make shortages cuz hmm. yeah, we we told our stockholders to release a game system this holiday season and then we did and we put 40 out there and we'll put, <laughs> hopefully put another 40s <laughs> enough. Uh, Adam Capaferi says Cyberpunk is the obvious answer, but honestly, I'm counting down the days to play Tony Hawk 1 and 2. The whole series was all I played for several summers in a row, and a chance to play them again with updated graphics will be amazing! I cannot wait to pick it up, pick it up! (laughs) (laughs) Are those those the only two that that collection includes, or does it include three as well? One and two. No three. Just one and two. The so best we're not going to get Amoeba's Immortal Song, huh. Tony Hawk. No. Or no, sorry. It was another band with a song called Amoeba that sounds like they're yelling Tony Hawk. <laughs> Tony Bad joke. Hawk. Yeah. Tony Hawk. Tony Hawk. Right, yeah. That one. Uh, finally, we have a video response from Full Install who says... Hey guys, it's Tom here again from Full Install here to answer your latest question. Hey what game are we looking forward to the most that's coming out in the rest of 2020? Now, my instinct was to say Cyberpunk. But you know what? I've been thinking about it and I don't actually think I'm that excited for it. I just know it's going to be good. Well, I assume mm. it's going to be good because it's CD Projekt Red. It looks like they put a lot of effort into it and it looks huge and it's cyberpunk and I love cyberpunk, but I haven't got the urge to rush out and buy it day one. I reckon I could leave it like a year and get the same out of it, so that's not actually my choice. And I think Chris said on the show last week that he doesn't think it's going to come out in 2020. I feel like that about any game that's released that has a release date which just is the year 2020. Unless it has a day and a month, I can't see it coming out, which is why I'm not going to say Oddworld Soulstorm which would be my answer, but I don't think we're going to see that this year. So I'm going to cheat a little bit and choose a game that's already been released, but we're getting a PC version of next week, and that's Death Stranding. Never played it on the PS4. Mm -hmm. Didn't really have the urge to. I feel like the dust has settled enough now that I can enjoy it. I also know it's coming out for sure because it's a week away. But I think since lockdown, a walking simulator is something I can enjoy now from sitting indoors doing nothing the whole time. So, yeah, I feel like enough time has passed that I can properly give that a... uh, I run up. Some games, I think you need to need to be out of the sort of public sight for you to enjoy properly. You can get a little bit too much feedback from the internet on things uh, at times, and I think Death Stranding was certainly one of those that kind of put me off. But now I've got the urge to play it, so I'm going to go with that. And oh, how awesome was it that they announced a Shadow Warrior Three on Monday? I'm sure you covered it in the news section, but if you haven't played two, it's surprisingly one of the best co-op games I've ever played. It's basically Destiny with ninjas, but with a proper ending. Play it if you haven't. Uh, cheers, guys. Catch you next week. You always make me smile, Lo Wang. No, wait, that's not it. You always make me fart. <laughs> okay. We did not cover <laughs> Shadow Warrior 3, but we did uh, not hey, cover that's that, cool to yeah. know. Yeah. So, so thank you for covering that for yes. us. I feel like you've done the job. <laughs> you would think, yeah, with Death Stranding, like, oh, maybe don't want to play it during the zeitgeist. I actually am really curious, because as we talked about when that game first came out, a lot of that game is the zeitgeist. It's other people building structures and stuff. So I I don't know. I haven't been back to Death Stranding recently. Is all that shit still there? Are there people playing it actively? Or is it just like a barren 
you know, landscape because no one is building stuff lately. So I would say play it when it comes out on PC so you can be guaranteed there will be other players building bridges and and ropes and ladders and stuff for you because that's what that game is supposed to be about. I am also dying to see if GameStop exists when uh, holiday 2020 comes out. I am... There are no guarantees here. It's all bad. It's all bad. Well, in the UK, they have game, right? Or is game completely shut yeah, down? Yeah, they do, well? but they have a, a more socialistic approach. and Probably won't throw people out on their ass just because businesses can't open. But we're America, and we will. And, <laughs> and it'll be shitty. Uh, it'll be shittier than it is in England. I'm sorry I had to be the person to break it to you. <laughs> <laughs> It definitely will be. Yeah, probably. Apparently, uh, our country is run by sociopaths, so I don't know how to sugarcoat this, kids. Uh, Like, look up a good recipe for a Molotov cocktail. You might need it. (laughs) Jesus. Three parts Angostura bitters, one part gasoline. Or is it the other way around? (laughs) All right, so new question of the week. Uh, Do you have a favorite modern retro game that is a game produced in the last uh, say five to ten years that attempts to recapture the gameplay style and aesthetics of the 80s and or 90s shovel knight i'm calling shovel okay. knight yeah it's, call shovel it's knight. one of the best games i've ever played and there are like really only two or three things it's doing that the nes couldn't have done it's all about new ideas and mm-hmm. uh, i really i really really dig it it's not it's not an, it's not a retro game that excels because the the the, uh, the hardware the the new hardware it's 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 something that took a long time to think about in terms of a old school game if I'm making any sense here but like mm-hmm. uh, the idea of buying new gameplay systems for yourself which if some if somebody like oh it's really cool to jump on shit with a shovel the whole game would be based on that and we would make three more that had focus on just that shovel knight allows you to basically unlock a, a couple more games inside of Shovel yeah, Knight. Yeah, the other, the other night campaigns are completely different. They're great. I will say the return of the Obra Dinn. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah right. definitely had those retro aesthetic and vibes. Yeah, with the, yeah. especially with the Commodore graphics 64 modes. 64 graphic. Yeah. Like an 80s yeah. Mac game. Yeah. Okay, I can yes. see it. Um, hmm. I've always been partial to the Shantae series, but really any... Mm-hmm. Any modern Metroidvania is something that's going to get under my skin and bite hard. And even though it's it's kind of retro now by itself, I will say, uh, having played Castlevania Aria of Sorrow or Aria of Sorrow recently on Game Boy Advance, like that is one of the tightest, best-paced Castlevania or Metroidvanias that I've ever played. Um, mm-hmm. And I recommend everybody who hasn't played it to seek it out and give it a shot. You just see the the original Shantae is coming out again right is it oh that's and cool. on game boy color they're releasing it not only uh on modern systems but old school systems yeah the, well. the new one's pretty good too i've been playing that a bit i mean they're all interchangeable but, yeah. <laughs> but i do <laughs> love them i do it's all you know a yeah. cute genie girl who does a dance and turns into different things mm-hmm. i'm gonna go with the game that i don't think we've ever really talked about a lot on this show but um i really loved it's owlboy and it's a game that was, it was a long time in the making. 
one of the most beautiful pixel art games that I've ever seen or played. Um, it also, though, had like a touching story, if believe it or not, for, for one of those games. Like, it definitely just, I remember it was just really memorable to play, uh, really feels good. It's tight controls. And I think that the story of the development of that game is it took them a really long time to make that game. Uh, so it's almost like, should we still be doing this retro thing? Will people still like these when this comes out? But it finally did come out and ended up being kind of a retro masterpiece. So if you have not ever played Owlboy, you owe it to yourself to it's, give it a it's shot. It's one of the last PC games I've ever streamed. Wow. It's because I knew really we could good. run it. <laughs> uh, but anyway, what is your favorite modern attempt at a retro game? Let us know. Go to videogamepocalypse.com and answer into the comments for episode 375. Alternately, you can go to the official oh God, Laser Time community on Facebook. There'll be a thread there where you can answer, or you can ping us on Twitter at VG Apocalypse, and we will read the best answers on next week's show. Anyway, that has been our show. Um, let's go out with some plugs. Leif, is, again, is there anything that you'd like to direct people's attention to? Uh, no, you can just uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Leif Johnson. I've been posting stuff pretty regularly on uh, IGN, um, PC World, Mac World, and every Sunday I have a stream with Elena Yee, who's been on the show before, and uh, so you can check us out on Twitch at 16-Bit Relic, hmm. and uh, so yeah, and uh, that's it. Chris? Uh, listen to Laser Time this week. Michael's on as we do our post-credits TV quiz. It's got a terrible title, and I don't even want to explain the premise, but I assure you the show is fun, and it was Dave's idea, and it's better than any idea I've had in a while. It's wonderful. Uh, be sure to listen to these guys on Bonus Time this week, and um, stay safe, man. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's dangerous out there. Uh, bonus time, which is available if you go to patreon.com slash laser time, subscribe at the $5 or more level per month. Uh, I will also be, I think on next week's bonus time, right, Chris, yes. I'm on the one with Michael and next week with uh, TL Foster, friend of the show. Uh, and then head on over to Twitch and please follow me. I'm at twitch.tv slash Maddie C. Allen. Same thing. I'm on Twitter at Maddie C. Alan. Uh, and again, on Twitch, I will be doing live reacts to the Ubisoft show as well as Microsoft Confirm one later in the month that I think is on the 23rd. So I'm probably just with those, it'll be kind of like a watch along like the old traditional classic laser time thing. Let's just, you know, react in real time. Maybe I'll even try to get some special guests. Who knows? Oh, all right. Well, let's wrap this up. I'm just going to tell you to uh, patreon.com slash laser time one more time because we have an upcoming The Last of Us Part 2 spoiler cast with uh, Carolyn Pettit uh, as our special guest where we get into the game and talk for like two hours about it. Uh, that will be available to patrons at the $5 level, so uh, sign up and listen to us yatter on about a game you may or may not have played. Uh, anyway, that has been our show. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at VG Apocalypse or me personally at Wikiparas. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. over and over again every week and making you wait and wait and wait while I get around to pushing this button to play this sound. Damn it. I don't know what... Sorry. Please, please edit this part out, Matt.